What's up, everybody? Patrick Jones here, and this week I am I'm recording in the great state of Michigan. I have been traveling a lot the last few weeks, and this week I'm going to be recording this, recording it in in Michigan, and I'm going to be talking about the recruiting process and how to help you navigate the recruiting process. So I, I work with players across the country in the recruiting process and help them in the recruiting process. And I think it's important because I get a lot of questions and, and DMS about college recruiting. And so I want to, I want to start putting out more free content on the recruiting process going forward. And so today that's what I'm going to be sharing with you is, is some different thoughts and things that I have that are going to help you navigate the recruiting process. So the first thing is, um, you know, when I go on Instagram, even when I go on Twitter, uh, I view seeing like the playing Division One college baseball. I view that the same as becoming an online millionaire. And here's what I mean by that. When I go on Instagram, everyone makes it seem like it's so easy and it's so common to become a millionaire. Right. I mean, it's it just, you know, you do this course or you say, you know, these things, you sign up for this class and and, you know, before you know it, you're going to be a millionaire. And it just seems like everybody's a millionaire. When in reality, if you look at the statistics, less than 1% of the population is actually a millionaire, right? So a lot of times, A, these people are full of it and they're not millionaires. And even if they are, it's like you don't really necessarily know how they got that money. Like they could have inherited the money. They, you know, you, do, you just don't know. And so statistically, it's it, social media is designed to make you feel like you're missing out if you're not on it and if you're not doing the things that everybody else is doing. And so I view playing college baseball and more specifically division one college baseball in the same regard, because if you look at the statistics, it's about two to 3% of, of all high school players end up playing division one college baseball. So it's right around the same percentage as becoming a, a millionaire. And so, but if, again, if you were to look online be like, man, everybody's getting a division one scholarship, right? Everyone's getting to play division one college baseball. Again, the reality is one, you don't know the context behind that division one offer that they're getting. It could just be a walk-on spot for all, you know, right. It could just be the coach saying like, Hey, like you can come here and, and, you know, we'll give you a chance to try out in the fall. You just, you don't know, right? You just, you, there's so many different things you don't know. And so that's why it's important to to not fall in that trap of social media because I can remember being in high school and I remember feeling frustrated, pressure, stressed, anxious, all these different emotions because I didn't get one call. I didn't get any interest from any college coaches until the fall of my senior year. I think it was October of my senior year. And then within a span of a week, I got three offers, bang, bang, bang. And it was just out of nowhere. And so I, I remember, I mean, I definitely resonate with, with seeing everybody else get offers and, and interest and me not getting anything. And, and so I think hopefully this episode will, will help you not feel some of those emotions that you maybe you've already been feeling, or um, if you're a parent listening to this, maybe your 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 child, your son listening to this, or even daughter, really for that matter, if you know there's softball parents listening to this too, um, because again, I I know it is stressful, but most of the time you're in the right spot. It's just you have to be patient. So let me give you a little bit of background. So 
here's the way everything kind of works is working right now with the transfer portal. And so with the transfer portal, there there's pros and cons with the transfer portal. So a, a pro is, and I've seen this already because I've worked with players in the transfer portal is, you know, you go to a, a division three school, a division two school, and you play very well. You can go into the transfer portal and you're going to get picked up by a division one school. I mean, I, I've seen kids now go from D three to power five and start immediately. And so that's a pro of the transfer portal where, where you know, maybe right now you're not getting any division one offers. Maybe you're, you're going to end up going division two, II, division three, and you go there and you play well. And your ultimate goal is to play the highest level you can against the best. Hey, you go there and you dominate you're going to get that opportunity because of the transfer portal. You know, you go to a division three school and, and for the next two years, you put up serious numbers, you know, you're an all American, all these, all these things, because you have to dominate. You go in the portal, you're going to get picked up by division one because now you have a track record. Now, one of the, the cons is though of it is it does, you know, especially right now, it, it pushes the high school recruiting back a little bit. I mean, in June or in June and July, I forget which month it was, there was a couple college coaches that I talked to who went down to a tournament down in Georgia. And uh, th these are both, you know, high level. One was a mid-major D1. The other one was power five. And they told me they were, they said they went down there to this tournament and they looked around and it was just them two coaches scouting it. And they were, they were asking or telling or asking each other, like, are we even at the right tournament? And they were saying that because, all the other coaches were at all these college summer league games scouting players from the transfer portal. And so because of that, that pushed a lot of, of the recruiting back in, in June and July. And so I think now in, in the fall going forward, it's, it's going to be a very important time for players to, um, to get recruited if they haven't been already. So I thought that was an, an interesting, an interesting story. Um, and one of the, one of the other couple cons of, of the transfer portal is, Hey, you go to that division one school that you want to go to so bad and, and you don't produce, they're more likely to not renew your scholarship because it, it is only a one year scholarship. If you didn't already know that it's only a one year and you resign it every year. So they're more likely to not renew your scholarship after one year. If you don't produce because those coaches know that they can go in the portal and grab somebody else who already has produced. And so that's a con of the of the transfer portal um, from a player standpoint. So there's pros and there's cons like everything else in, in life. And so instead of complaining about it, let's just embrace it and let's move on. Because I have seen it work in a positive manner. I think sometimes for some players, change of scenery can be the best thing for them. Um, and so I think the next thing that I think is, is important for me to, to explain is because I get this a lot from, you know, from people asking questions is what are coaches looking for? Because I have people reach out to me and, and parents sometimes and it's, you know, he's got the the metrics, he's got all the measurables. Like why isn't he getting the offers? And there's a couple reasons why. So I'm going to go through that right now. So I think I'm going to start off and I'm going to explain what a power five player looks like. And then that way it's going to be easier to, to go down kind of from there. So here's what a power five player would look like from a, a position player standpoint. All right. And, and there's going to be outliers like, but this is the majority. All right. So from a position player standpoint, they're going to be able to at least hit the ball a hundred miles an hour exit velocity. All right. They're going to be right around that range. 
Um, right around there, 100 miles an hour exit velocity from a metric standpoint. If they're a position player, they're going to be able to throw at least mid to high 80s all the way up to, to low 90s from their position. So from an infielder, from an outfielder standpoint. So they have you know th- those metrics too from an arm strength standpoint. If they're a position player and they're playing up the middle, so shortstop, second base, center field, they're 60 times going to be 6'7", 6'6", 6'5", in that range. Corner players maybe a little bit slower, but because they're corner players, that means that they're going to have to they they have to have a better bat because if they don't have a really good bat, then that's going to put that's it's not going to be worth it for them to offer that particular player. So for a corner guy, they need to have a, a little bit better bat. Maybe they're not as fast. Guys up the middle, those are usually going to be the the sixty times, and then the the pop times. I'm not even going to say a pop time because the nobody actually looks at pop times from showcases. And I had Devin Mezzarocco, who's coaching at uh, Pittsburgh right now. And he even says that too. Like n- nobody is looking at pop times from showcases from showcase times because everyone cheats. It's not realistic. So it, it people only go off of in-game pop times period. So I'm not even going to mention a pop time from a catcher standpoint uh, from uh, also the other thing too, is I've talked to some coaches lately about infielders specifically and arm action is is very important for them. So they want to see a good, clean arm action. Um, this one particular coach told me that he feels like he can he can help players with with footwork, with things like that. But he said it's if they don't have a good arm action, he said that's way too long of a a, a, a process to be able to help them fix. That's so gonna be way too. I don't have that much time um, because coaches only have so much time. Like you, you got to go there and be able to ready to, ready to play right away. Uh, I think from a statistic standpoint, so that's from a metric standpoint, from a, a statistic standpoint, hitting standpoint, I think this is the separator. This is the separator because everyone just looks at, this, at the metrics where it's like, oh, I got it. He's got to get really good 60 time. He throws hard. He has a good exit velocity. That's just a resume. All right. You're not going to hire somebody solely off a resume, right? You want to see, hey, talk to him, see what they're like. Maybe you want to uh, talk to the people who have who have worked with them uh, and you want to see the specific results, right? Maybe you've seen them, uh, you see the, what they where they've worked at, but you don't know what what have they actually done. And so that's similar to uh, hitting specifically. So you have these metrics, but what have you actually done in game performance? Because th- th- at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters. There's high school kids every year who have better metrics than players making millions of dollars in the major leagues. And the reason those guys are making millions of dollars in the major leagues and the high school kids, those specific, those particular high school kids end up not making it clearly isn't because of the metrics. They have the, the, the physical tools. It's, they don't have the, they don't have the in-game production. So from a position player standpoint, need to be hitting with power. If you're going to go to a power five school, you need to be hitting home runs, right? If you, you need to be hitting doubles consistently. Um, you need to be able to control the strike zone. So if I look at your statistics and you have 150 at bats, there should be some home runs on there. There should be a, a good amount of doubles on there. There should be a good strikeout to walk ratio because if you're striking out more than you're walking right now in high school, 
and you I want to go play power and at the power five level, it's not going to get any better more than likely. So if you, you that's why it's that's why one of the things I look at is what's the strikeout to walk ratio as a from a hitter standpoint. So if I have a hitter, I'll give you an example. If I have a hitter who has has walked twenty times, I want I want to see the strikeouts under ten, for example. Like that's 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 pretty good. Again, we're talking power five, so we're talking best of the best. So if you're striking out, if you're walking twenty times and striking out twenty five or thirty times, that's that's a lot of swing and miss right there. Uh, it's that or lack of approach, one of the two. So that's kind of my view from a position player standpoint. Need to need to have really good bat to ball skills. I mean, you're dominating. You're 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 when you're getting out most of the time, it's loud outs. You're lining out to people. You're constantly making loud outs, plus dominating, hitting for power, and controlling the strike zone. So those that's kind of how I view that from a position player standpoint for power five players. Now, from a pitcher, from a power five standpoint, from a metric standpoint, again, we'll start off with the metrics. We're going to start out from high 80s up to mid 90s. All right. And there's, you know, a little bit of room in there, depending if it's a left handed pitcher, right handed pitcher, um, need to be able to, to throw strikes. Because <clears throat> I, I can't tell you how many times coaches are, are like, yeah, we got guys who can throw 95, 97 on our staff, but they never pitch because they can't throw strikes. So you got to be able to throw strikes and not just throw strikes with your fastball, but command the breaking ball too. So if you can command, you know, the breaking ball and the fastball, and then, you know, have a change up in there too. Like now, now we have something with those type of velocities. And the, the best way to know if you have good stuff, our, our hitters swinging and missing. I don't need really any analytics or metrics to tell me if you have good stuff from a pitching standpoint, the hitters are going to tell me whether you have good stuff and strikeouts will tell me that more specifically. So if you're striking guys out, if you have a good, you know, we talked about before from a, a position player standpoint, strikeout to walk ratio, very similar thing from a pitching standpoint. If you have 20 strikeouts and you have 30 walks, that's an issue because that, those are free runners College baseball is about winning. It's not it's different than professional baseball at the minor league level. So you you have to be able to, to throw strikes. So if you have 20 strikeouts, less than 10 walks, that's kind of the range that I would I would be shooting for. Um, and I know that not everyone's going to be a finished product, but again, we're talking about the best, the best, the power five. And so from, from that standpoint, right? Okay, so that's power five. Those are some of the, the metrics. Um, from a position player and a pitcher standpoint, then it's like, okay, now we're going to go to to mid-major division one. And so I'm not going to go through like every single one like I did before. And so power is is really the biggest separator, right? It's it's not necessarily that one player is substantially better than than all the other players, because I think that's another thing is it it's a it's not a, always a big difference. A lot of times it's it's a small difference between two different players, and, and that's the separator. Um, and, and players and coaches miss on players too. They miss on players all the time. Um, I'll give you an example of, of myself missing on a player. And this was not in a high school kid. This was a, actually a college kid, which if anything, you be, should be less likely to miss on them than, than a high school kid, right? Cause you have more data, more stats, everything. So when I was with the, uh, I used to be a hitting coach in the Baltimore Orioles organization and 
I was able to help out with the draft um, the two years that I was there. And, and one of the years, the, uh, the the way it worked is, you know, you were sent a, a bunch of players and you were to watch all their video and metrics and everything. And and uh, and then you were to, to rank them, you know, in one to 20 or whatever it was for for a different for a position player for um, and then you would get different sets of of players each day. And uh, one of the players that that I had was uh, Joey Weimer. And so he's now in the major leagues for the Milwaukee Brewers. At the time, he was at the University of Cincinnati, and um, I, I saw his numbers. They they weren't they were okay. They weren't great by any means. He never really dominated. Um, I, I saw his his swing. It was there was a lot of movement in his swing, uh, a lot of movement, and so I I think I I went back and checked. I ranked him last on on the list. All the list of players that I had I ranked him last. He's the only one out of that list that ended up making it to the major leagues already. <laughs> so point being is people miss on people. Like Crowley, that's I I missed on on that guy. Now, whether the Orioles would have actually drafted him or not, I mean, who knows, right? But that's not the point. Point is you're gonna miss on players, and that's just part of it. You learn from it and you move on. And so I think coaches that I was talking to a coach the other day and he was he was telling a story about how a school offered a player and and he was friends with the the, the coach of that program and he's like why the heck did you offer that that kid's not going to do anything like I've seen him so many times I don't like his size I don't like anything and three years later he's uh, an all conference player at this school and so it's just you're always learning it it's a it's an art more than it is a science at times and and so I think that. For, from a coach's standpoint, you you learn from that. I know I've speci- I've learned from that. I've learned a lot of different things from a, a scouting standpoint, and, uh, and and you move on because you're going to miss on on players, and so you can't take it personal because there's there's so many players out there, and I think a lot of times what ends up happening is uh, coaches will when they watch games and they're they're scouting. If a player reminds them of a, a previous player that they had, maybe from a, a size standpoint, a movement standpoint, uh, what, you know, how they run, some you know, just something like that. Uh, if that if that former player did well, then that current player they're watching, they're they may think a little more highly of. Versus if that former player wasn't very good, and that player reminds them of them, less likely to to want to recruit that player. Whether that's right or wrong, I think that's that's just a human, uh, natural human trait that I know I have, and 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 so that's why scouting can be hard because you want to you do you don't want to always make a decision always based on past experiences because sometimes there's there's nuance to to everything, especially in in scouting. So everyone misses on players. That's that's the way it is, but. Sometimes coaches are just going to go with their gut, and it's it's frustrating because as a player, you want to know specifically why they didn't offer you, and you want and you want to fix it right away. But sometimes you just you can't quantify everything, unfortunately. Um, so now I'm going to explain in this um, in this episode how to how the scholarships are are spread out. So I, I'll just start at the Division One level. 
And so there's 11.7 scholarships and um, a college coach sent me this. And so this is how it works because I, I mentioned earlier, I was an outfielder, a corner outfielder. I didn't get a lot of looks. And so I, and one of the reasons that I didn't up until the fall of my senior year is, is, Hey, corner outfielders, they're, they're usually sometimes the last to go because I could recruit a shortstop and I could put him in the corner as a corner outfielder. Right. But if I recruit a corner outfielder, he's not going to be playing shortstop in college. And so that's one of the reasons that guys up the middle are more valuable than corner players. So 11.7 scholarships. So usually six of those scholarships are going to go towards pitching. All right. So six of the 11.7 are going to go towards pitching across an entire team. Uh, usually three of those three full scholarships will be middle infield. So shortstop, second base. So we're already up to nine, and all we have is is pitchers and players and who are shortstop or second base. And already at nine, only two point seven left. So the next, it usually it's one point two five for the outfield, um, one full scholarship for for as a catcher for catchers. And so again, this is not. Every player is getting a full ride, maybe 25%, 50%, whatever it is. And then a little bit less than a half for um, a, a corner corner player. So maybe a corner bat guy who's got some power but doesn't have the, the versatility. So maybe it's like 0.45 I think would be left to equal out to 11.7. And so a college coach sent me that and said that that's usually what it is for the majority of college players. Uh, coaches across the country and, and how they go about spending the money for players. So again, what stood out to me the most is out of the 11.7, nine of those scholarships went to pitchers or shortstops and second baseman. That's crazy, right? I mean, there's so there's a lot of other positions on the field. So it pays to, to be on the mound or, and it pays to be playing uh, as a middle infielder. Again, just something to note. Um, and at the Division II level, there's nine full scholarships, and so it's it's probably going to be spread out very similar, just decreased a little bit. Division three college baseball, um, they don't have any scholarships, and so usually for from a Division three standpoint, if you have good grades, you can sometimes are able to to get tuition knocked off because of the because you have good grades, and so that again that allows you to to not have to pay a full ride, but they don't have athletic money. Um, and then NAIA and JUCO, there's scholarship money available there too. So there, for a division three standpoint, going back to that again, a lot of times the higher, like higher academic kids are going to end up going division three. If, if they can't go division one, even Ivy league, because there's a, a really a lot of, a ton of high academic schools at the division three level. So high academic kids, a lot of times you're going there, AKA that was not going to be me because I was not a high academic kid. All right. So now we're going to get into uh, social media and talk about social media a little bit, how to, how to work social media um, players on there. It's important to be on Twitter. I should be more specific, not just social media, but Twitter specifically, because that's where all, all the college coaches are. I mean, it's crazy when I go to games and I'll sit back with coaches and you just see what they're doing and they're just scrolling on Twitter. It's crazy. I mean, they're just scrolling on Twitter. They're just looking. They're just on on Twitter all the time, just refreshing Twitter. So it, it Twitter is very important, and it, it can help. It helps coaches find leads on players. 
So they're not going to just offer a player, but it may get them interested in a player to go and watch them in person to follow up with them. So posting videos, you know, regularly is important content regularly. The most important thing is it's not always how much it's, it's the quality of the, 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 the video. So game changer, for example, it's a great product. It's awesome. I like using game changer uh, myself, you know, just following along with, with how players are doing, but the video portion of it, because of how far away it is, it's hard to see much on there. It's hard to see much from an evaluation standpoint. And so if you're creating any type of friction for a coach to evaluate you, they're, they're not even going to, that's energy because they have to go and now dig deeper. They're not going to do it. There's, there's too many players out there. They're just going to keep scrolling. So it's important that you can see you and, and they can fully try to evaluate you if you post video and content on Twitter. So not about how much content it's, it's the quality via video of content that you put out on there. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of the most important thing that I see from Twitter standpoint. And then the last thing is, is don't, I wouldn't recommend tagging coaches on there. It doesn't look good. And then if you tag coaches it's like well if you're not if the coach if maybe a coach is interested in you but they weren't tagged well they're not as likely to reach out to you or follow you because you didn't tag them and clearly you're interested in in other schools so i wouldn't tag coaches if if i were you i wouldn't recommend that anyway obviously grades are extremely important and and you know if you maybe for example want to be an, an engineer someday and it's like, oh, I, none of these schools offer any of the, you know, don't have an, an engineer program. Maybe it's not the best fit for you then, right? So grades are extremely important. Continue to work hard on that. I've I've heard of, of stories of kids just dropping off and, and not continuing to work hard in the classroom all the way through and, and end up losing scholarships because of that too. So make sure you're you're hitting hitting the classroom hard. Um, if you're looking to go to, a, for example, an Ivy League school, um, I have a lot of uh, coaches that I know and, and good friends in the Ivy Leagues. Usually from an ACT standpoint, you want to be um, a 30 usually, right around a 30 ACT and then high GPA as well. But that's the test score that I've heard is um, from on the ACT side is, is a 30 is usually where at least where you need to be at. Um, and then lastly, emailing coaches. So emailing coaches, very similar to to using Twitter. The, the most important thing is you you're trying to get coaches to to make a decision on you. You're trying to get a yes or a no. And the reason why I say that is I think a lot of times players don't send emails out in a way where coaches can can make any type of an evaluation. And so they just move on to the next email. Going back to the, the game changer video and, and things like that on Twitter via email, don't put a link on there to, I would say, your field level page. And that's where your video is at. Because a coach is going to have to click on that, sign in to field level if they even have an account. If they don't have an account, then they have to make an account. They're not doing all that. They're deleting the email and going to the next one. I'm just telling you from personal experience of getting bombarded by a bunch of emails at one time, it's overwhelming. It really is. And so not create you don't want to create any type of friction you want to make it very easy very clean for them when they're they're looking at your video if they don't respond that doesn't necessarily mean anything 
I, I've had a, a lot of players reach out to me and I haven't been able to respond yet to, to all of them, but I, I watch every single video and I read every email. So coaches are doing other things too. They, they have families. They, they are actually coaches too. So they're actually coaching players on their team. Plus they're doing all this recruiting and scouting on top of that. So they have a lot of things going on. So don't take it personal if they don't get back to you right away. I'd recommend sending two to three emails to a school. And if you don't hear back at that point, that's okay. Then I'd, I would move on and, and not worry about that particular school anymore. But sending emails, it's important to, to do some background research on the school, I think, um, and not just copy and paste everything. Uh, if you want more information on how to write an email, I'm going to put a link in the show notes page. And I, I created a, a video on how to go about writing an email that um, that 99% of players don't do in terms of the background research and just going the extra mile um, on the email. So I'll put that if you're interested in, in a video on how to email a college coach, click the link in the show notes page because I'm going to have um, a link there where you can click it and it's going to you put your email in and you'll be sent a video on, on how to go about doing that. So lastly, you're trying to get a yes or a no from a coach in the recruiting process, um, and you want to make it as easy as possible for them to make a decision on you, and that's going to help you too because if they say no, that's fine. Coaches have said no to me too when I was a player. That does you, that, that actually helps you out because you can cross them off and move on to the next one. As I said earlier, coaches miss on players. That's It's going to happen guys in the major leagues there's tons of players in the major leagues that were that were missed by college coaches that college coaches didn't offer so it's going to happen doesn't mean you're a bad player there's just unfortunately thousands and thousands of players out there and so depending on the day they see you and what else is going on in their life too may have just gotten lost in the shuffle and that's all right all right so i'm going to leave you with the story of a player who heading into their junior year of high school was a pitcher throwing 75 to 78 miles an hour. Not very hard, obviously, heading into a you know, junior year. Uh, if he were if he were uh, nowadays, he would not have been getting a call August 1st from a Division I school heading into his junior year because at the time he was throwing 75 to 78 miles an hour. Ended up playing fall ball, training over the wintertime, was throwing maybe 80 to 82, went to a very good high school program, got cut his junior year. So didn't get to play high school baseball at all his junior year because was was on a very good high school program and was only throwing 80 to 82 as a junior. And there was tons of players at this high school who threw high 80s and 90s. So this kid got cut, but he kept working. He kept working. Lo and behold, this kid, midsummer rolls around. He's throwing mid to high 80s now goes to a showcase touches 90 so within a, a 12 month period he goes from throwing 75 to 78 to throwing 86 to 88 touching 90 and now has all sorts of division one schools after him and recruiting him to go to their school and he was just cut from his high school program less than six months ago point being is that kid doesn't get any of these looks from any of these division one schools if he gave up, right? Imagine getting cut as a junior in high school. Like you're almost getting ready to graduate. 
It'd be so easy to just throw the towel in. This kid didn't. He just kept working. And that's why it's important to love this game. And if you don't love it, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's what if you don't love it, that's what's going to push you through during the tough times. You may not get cut. Maybe you go 0 for 4 when a coach comes to see you. Maybe you're not getting the offers you want right now. If you don't love the game, you're not going to continue to push through. Right. If you get cut, you're not going to continue to to want to play and train and and try out again next year. And you you know that one particular kid, he's going to go on and play Division One college baseball, and he could have easily hang hung up the cleats and been done with it after he got cut as a, a junior in high school. So if you love the game, continue to play it as long as as you have the as you have passion for it and 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 you want to continue to play the game because I've never met anybody in my life who regretted playing as long as they did all right and that's coming from a guy who was 25 years old playing in the lowest level of professional baseball in the Pecos League making $57 a week all right and I don't regret it at all so keep playing as long as you love the game um, if you have any questions I do work with players in the recruiting process Send me an email if you're interested in working together, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. Good luck to you, and before you know it, we'll have another episode on college recruiting. See you guys next time.